0: For 20% off your first system. I'm really, really, really excited about today's guest. And I know that you will be as well. I feel like she is one of the OG mum influences that I think of. She's also um, an actress, a radio presenter. I feel like if teenage Ashley knew that I was going to be talking to you, she'd be like really fangirling as well. Um, She was on Strictly in 2017 and arguably her most important role is that she is a mum to two-year-old Mia. It is Gemma Atkinson. What a lovely intro. Thank you, Ashley. I was such a like Hollyoaks fan back in the day, so I feel like... (laughs) I really like the, of all the memories that I have, sorry to go straight in with Holly Oaks, but of all the memories that I have, it's you, Ali Bastian, who's been a podcast guest and is a friend. And was it Justin? I I can't even, Chris. Yes. Just. oh my gosh, yes. Was it your, yeah, Chris Fountain, was he your like boyfriend? Anyway, I remember that storyline. Wow. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Yeah, I'm really well. I'm manic,
1: but in a good way, it's kind of organized chaos isn't it I guess just kind of roll with it get on with it and
0: appreciate it all we'll try to yeah I feel like I'm particularly excited to speak to you because obviously Mia's two now so a year and a half older than Alf but I always like to speak to someone slightly ahead of the journey because it gives (laughs) me a bit of an idea about what is ahead? But before I speak to you about like now, I thought we could rewind back to the very beginning because obviously it's called Mum's the Word and I talk a lot about being a new mum and particularly that first year of motherhood. I read that you actually never really like thought about being a mum until you met Gorka.
1: I was happy at being a dog mum, yeah, genuinely. I thought, I thought I'd be on my own with about 10 dogs and I was quite excited for that. I found a shift in people when I turned 30 there was a whole kind of they'd approach it with a head tilt and are you on your own? And I used to say, Yeah, why? I'm I'm it's by choice, you know, I'm not I'm not gonna be with someone just because I'm 30. So I think there is the pressure who started about motherhood from age 30. But it wasn't until yeah, I met Gorka that I thought, wow, I could really picture a little family with him.
0: How old were you when you became a mum?
1: I was thirty four. And it, it's funny because I still didn't really feel old enough. <laughs> In my head. I think it's kind of like as soon as I had Mia, I was like, oh gosh, I'm the adult now. Because in situations, when something goes wrong, I look for the adult. Whereas now that's
0: me, I'm the I'm the person who has to k- take charge. I find that especially when I'm ill. I'm like, could someone come and pick up this child so I get to lie in bed? <laughs> and I'm like, wait, I still I still have to be the adult, and even in this situation, but I'm ill. <laughs> I know I need a I need a Netflix day, but you
1: still have to parent. It's crazy. But yeah, it's it's bizarre. It's it shocked me how. It's not that every moment's been easy being a mum, but it's been natural to me, which was a shock to me because, like I say, I was very much cool with being on my own, lots of dogs, chilling out with the girls, no responsibility. Um, I, I, I was fine like that, whereas now I feel like Mia's been here all the time. I don't know what I did without her. It's strange.
0: Did you, um? did you feel like that maternal instinct kicked in straight away, like from the moment that you were pregnant or did, did you feel that it was when she was born or how was that sort of first year of like dealing with becoming a mum and that mum identity that we kind of talk about a lot?
1: It was kind of the first thing that kicked in when I found out I was pregnant was worry. I was worried sick that I remember going into a submission mode in my body thinking, okay, you've... You know, done all these crazy things you've been on the Great Wall of China, you swam with sharks, you bungee jump, you can deadlift this amount in the gym. Please, please, how's this little human for me? Because I know how you know it's it's such a so easy for people to say, Oh, yeah, I had a baby after two months, I had a baby after three weeks, I Had, and I'm very much aware that for some women it's a huge, huge achievement because they've been trying for so long. They were told they couldn't do it. So the minute for us, I mean, it, it took me and Goku around three months, which I know is extremely very lucky. But as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I had this fear of anything could go wrong because I've never been pregnant before. I was scared to death of, could I continue with my training? Could I still have coffee? You know, little things that I never even considered and the first 12 weeks I found the most awkward because obviously technically they say, you're not supposed to tell anyone through you through the safe zone. And that whole world, the whole word safe zone for me for 12 weeks, I kept thinking, what if I have this scan and there's nothing there? You know, you, you just, you don't know what the outcome is. So it was worry instinctively. And then- Did you tell anyone within, within those 12 weeks? I told my mom and my sister. And my sister burst into tears. She was thrilled. She's got three children, but I mean, the youngest is 18. So they're adults now, but she, she burst into tears. But yes, yeah, as, as soon as we got past the 12 weeks and we were told she was okay, then I was like, oh, relief. And then it dawned on me driving home from that scan how protective and worried I was of some little thing that I've never even met or felt or anything yet. It was just a case of, oh, wow, that's kind of the start of motherhood then, constantly worried. <laughs> and I, I read something the other day, it said parents, they don't sleep, they just worry with their eyes shut. And I thought that's true as well. This is my life now, just
0: constant worry for my for my child. Do you feel like the, the worry has got less now that you've eased into motherhood or do you feel like there's just lots of new challenges and new things to worry about? I think it's definitely got less whereby like the first
1: four or five months I was – panicking about because she was tiny me she was only four pound ten so things like wiping her eyes at boiling water on a cotton pad and also delicate whereas now it's just like a flannel straight on there doesn't matter where (laughs) it's been we're washing her face um and and things like you know if If she falls over, it used to be kind of, oh, I hope she doesn't fall and this and that, whereas now I'm like, well, she'll only do it once because if I've told her not to climb on the chair and she falls off it, she'll know that's why I was telling her. So I've kind of eased into things that way, but it's now little things like today I've dropped her in toddlers and they said, oh, we have to let you know there's a sickness and diarrhoea bug going around and chicken pox. So I I just thought, oh, I don't want her to get sickness and diarrhoea. You know, I don't. Chicken pox is fine. She can have that as a little one because, you know, it's kind of good for them to have it when they're young. But it's then I'm now spending today thinking they're going to ring me and say she's been sick. <laughs> you know, it's that whole kind of, I think with each age stage, it's such a wonderful, new, amazing experience. And then every now and again, you think, oh, but now I've got this to worry about. And, you know, it's it's kind of like a a wonderful,
0: chaotic world, I think, being a parent. It's interesting because um, Alf goes to the childminders a couple of days a week now. And um, she said the same to me last week, like, Oh, by the way, there's um, a girl here. I've just noticed she's got like a couple of spots. It might be chickenpox. And I was a bit like, Well, get rid of her. Like, What's she doing? And she was like, no, 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 but it's fine for him to get it. But I think that, you know, especially as a lockdown mum, we weren't mixing at all. So Alf didn't really have any sort of sicknesses or bugs or anything. And so now I feel like I'm being like thrust back into this sort of normal world where... You are just having, and everyone's like, oh, it's fine. It's just chicken pox. But I feel like it terrifies me because when I had chicken pox, my brother picked them all off and put them in his toy trailer and like, oh, drove. <laughs> it's just disgusting, isn't it? But yeah, it is just like new worries that you don't have to think about. Yeah. So what was the rest of pregnancy like? You obviously mentioned that Mia was like a teeny, teeny little baby. I know that you had to have an emergency C-section, which I want to talk to you about as well. But was there any sign throughout your pregnancy that you needed to be worried about her size? Or I got, I got a few water infections during pregnancy and I had to take
1: two courses of antibiotics. And that was really difficult for me because... Obviously, modern-day medicine is fantastic, but all I could think was anything I'm putting in my body is going into Mia. So I didn't want to keep loading myself with these antibiotics, and I kept asking, will it be okay for her? Is it fine for her? And they kept saying, yeah, don't worry about it. But I was told throughout my whole pregnancy that Mia was a big baby because I put on three stone, um, and I was told at all the scans, yep, she's measuring well, she's nice and big. So when she came out £4.10, I was like, what the hell is this three stone? It's clearly just pizza and pasta like a little (laughs) baby in in the middle of it all um but no there was no kind of concerns really as to why it should have gone the way it did in in my head I you know we booked in to have a water birth and it was at a clinic whereby there was no kind of doctors or nurses it was kind of a natural birth that I I was after and um my mum said from day one "You, you can't plan a birth She said, because your baby will come when your baby's ready. And she said, I hate it how they give you a a date because then you're constantly thinking are they late or early. She said, they should just say your baby's coming in July. Sometime in July, you'll have a baby. Um, And she did. She came on the 4th of July. And the the, the mercies gave me the 16th, I think, 16th of July. So then I was like, oh, she's tiny because she's early. But they said, no, she's just a tiny, tiny baby. That's just how she was.
0: It's funny, isn't it? The due date, because even though I knew they don't always come on the due date, Alf was two weeks late and actually a 9.5 pound baby. So like the total opposite to you. And I had no idea that he was going to be such a chunk. And when he was born, there was no vernix or white stuff left on him. And they actually think they got my due date wrong. And he was actually three, well, almost like past two weeks late as opposed to just two weeks late and so i felt like i almost missed the newborn period in a way obviously i had the newborn period in my own self of getting used to being a mum but i i felt like i just had this like <laughs> about birth, an adult. <laughs> gosh nine pound
1: yeah but it's funny, though, my my nephew, Tyler, he's 21 now. He was massive. He looked like he had little elastic bands around his arms because of all these little rolls. And I remember feeling so much more comfortable handling him, changing his nappy, putting him on my shoulder. With a, with Mia being so little, I, I was scared to death of it because you could literally hold her like that in your hands. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what if I drop her or, you know, accidentally break her ankle when I'm putting her socks on? And it was because I'm, you know, I'm five nine, I've got massive hands, I'm broad. I was kind of expecting my baby to be the same. So it was kind of odd being so delicate around this little little tiny being.
0: Did did what was so what was your um birth story? You obviously said that you wanted a home birth. Um sorry, not home birth, a water birth. Um so what happened and then what kind of care were you given? For me, the fact that she was so small, like, did she have to stay in um, hospital or what was the, what was your journey?
1: Well, we, my waters broke on the second and I was at home on my own and Gorka was on tour. And so I rang my mum straight away because I knew he'd be on stage and I didn't want to, he still had the second act to go. And I thought, I don't want to ruin, tell him and he'd ruin the show for everyone because he'll be just thinking about me. So I told my mum and she luckily lived 10 minutes away. And she came up and she said, well, we'll just, you know, ring the hospital, see what they say. And they they basically said to me to stay at home until I start getting my contractions. And um, because they said without them, there's no point, nothing's going to happen. And it was a good like six or seven hours, nothing had happened. So So you picked your Mom, at this point? Yeah. Uh, And Norman and Ollie as well, The, the two dogs wouldn't leave my side, bless them. And by this point, Gawker had come home as well because he was only performing in Liverpool. So we drove from Liverpool to Manchester. And I remember saying to him, do not worry, don't drive like a maniac because I'm fine. It's just the floor's wet, but it's fine. We're sorting it, don't worry. Um, And then when I went up to see them, they did all the checks and stuff and they said, oh, she's, she said, go home. And then if nothing happens, come back again. And it was actually, I was sat at home and it was a good, it was the next day at this point and there was still nothing. And the lady who'd done my hypnobirth in Beverly, she's lovely. She called me up to see how I was, and I told her. And it was actually her. She said to me, so you've gone 12 hours. with Your water's broken. No one's done anything. And I said, no, they just said to come back when my contractions start. And obviously, because I'd never been through it before, I didn't realize the risk of infection or anything like that. And she said to me, she said, if I were you, I'd go to the hospital. She said, don't go to the place where you'd meant to, where you want to have her. Go to the hospital. So thank God she did because as soon as I got there and told them, they were like, "Okay, let's get you in," and they attached a like little belt to my stomach and they said every time me a kick, we want you to click a little. It was like a little ballpoint pen. So I was doing that, and every time I felt a move in, and they were monitoring a heart rate. And then they they said, "We'll induce you." They gave me a sweep, but again, nothing happened. So there was literally nothing. I didn't feel like I was in labor at any stage. I remember I was walking around the ward, doing all kinds of stuff. And then a lady came in and she noticed that the clicks on the pen had got quite less or bigger gaps between them. And she said, well, maybe to another ward and we're going to induce you with, it's like an intravenous, intravenous drip. And she said, she said, that really kickstarts your labor. She said, it's very intense. It's a lot more painful than what it would have been, but it's quick and you'll you'll have your baby. So I said, okay. So they put the injection in, the liquid went in and I, I had one contraction. And I, I remember it was like being kicked. I, do, I used to do Thai boxing and I was like, oh, and I felt like I'd been kicked in the tummy. And the midwife looked at this monitor and I, I saw her face change and I thought, okay, something's not right. And then she said to me, Mia's heart rate dropped dramatically we, we need to get her out when I have to do an emergency c-section so she and she pressed this red button and everyone came in they were amazing the staff at the hospital um took me through to my, C- to have my c-section so by then my mum and Gorka were both a bit panicky and then when I was having my c-section I was all really, I was nice and calm with all of that to be honest I was like okay it's fine um it was only when I was sat on the edge of the bed having my epidural, the hospital handed me a clipboard and it was my consent to give a blood transfusion should I need one and what I want to happen to Mia. <clears throat> and that's when I started thinking, oh my God, this is actually quite serious because they're essentially saying, if this goes wrong, you need to sign here. And I remember saying to the doctor, am I, am I going to be okay? Will, will this be okay? And she said, yeah, let's just do your epidural. And she laid me down and the epidural hadn't kicked in. And the surgeon said we need to move now. So she said to me, "We're going to have to put you to sleep." And I remember saying, "Please, I really don't want to be asleep." And that's when I started getting quite upset because when you're asleep, your partner can't come in. And I just had this—I don't know why—it sounds silly. I didn't want Mia to be born and not be given back to me at that that's moment. So
0: I, like, I feel like that's a fair, a fair. <laughs> <season to have. laughs> I was thinking, what if if she's born?
1: I'm asleep. Her dad's not in the room. I could get another baby back, which is so dramatic. But it went through my head. Anyway, they give me more, put more in, and it finally worked. Gorka could come in in his scrubs. Um, So I had me a C-section all fine. And then about an hour or so later, I had a hemorrhage. um, And I had quite a lot of bleeding. Um, So again, the surgeons had to come in. (laughs) <laughs> what did that feel like at the time? Like, did you feel uncomfortable after the C-section or? Yeah, because I'd had the C, because I'd had the epidural, I was numb. So I couldn't feel the blood. Do you know, like normally when you have a period, I know it sounds wrong, but you, you'd be stood there and you will go, oh, some period's just come out. I didn't feel anything like that at all. Um, I just kind of remember feeling really, really faint. And I was like, oh my God, I feel really ill. And then Gorka kind of moved the bed in and it was just blood. And he was like oh my god i'm gonna go and get help he went and got a lady um they came in they were massaging my stomach uh, the doctor came out to my face and he was saying to me don't worry you're gonna be okay you're just bleeding we're gonna try and stop it um and i looked around at gawker and he was sat with his head in his hands with a nurse rubbing his back and i thought oh my god bless him he was like worried sick he described it as like a formula one pit stop he said it was just manic but then they stopped the bleeding and by this point I was like I'd gone and I woke up in another ward with a lovely lovely nurse who was fitting my catheter um, and I started violently being sick then and she said to me oh it's your anti-sickness medicine don't worry and I was like anti-sickness it's, it's making me really sick um, and she said it'll kick in it's fine and then I stayed in for it was five nights in total and- so were you with me at this point? Yeah, she was in a little incubator next to me. And I remember when I woke up, that's the first thing I did was I looked around the room straight away just to find her. Um, and she was literally next to me fast asleep as if nothing had happened. She was looking so peaceful. Um, and obviously she had no idea what had,
0: you know what had just taken place, bless her. And she, she was absolutely fine, obviously, when you, there was all that commotion going on around you. But when she came out, they were obviously worried about her heart rate. How did you manage C C-section? Was she fine straight away? Or It's odd. I mean, she was born on Independence Day, so I always
1: say she's a very strong, independent woman. But they, they said they were shocked at how quickly she came on because um, normally we little babies. They have to go into the uh, little ICU, you know, the baby care ward and stuff. Um, but she was four pound ten. So they said if she'd have been around four or five, then they have to. Um, but they said we'll see how she goes on with your feeding and stuff. And literally now, I mean to look at her, she's she's really, really tall for her age. Um, and she's so kind of clever and you know, she's quite advanced with things. And I always look back to that one time in the hospital where they were fearful that she might not develop properly.
0: And I just think, oh, she's she's proved everyone wrong, which I absolutely love. Amazing as well. Like, yeah, I feel like you just never know at the beginning, do you? And I feel like that's what makes pregnancy so exciting and scary, and why I love hearing people's birth stories. Um, just because everyone just seems to have this like really unique experience. And that's one thing that I find with like especially the first year of motherhood as well. Like suddenly you have everyone's advice some of it is quite helpful I'll admit but a lot of it is quite anxiety inducing and there's a lot of unsolicited advice and people putting their own experiences on you and actually we all kind of have our own very unique experiences and timelines and also highs and lows I feel like some things that people find really easy other people find really challenging Um, how did you navigate I know that you're really honest on social media which is why you've got such a big platform around motherhood like you're seen as like you know a mum influencer did you how did you navigate both pregnancy and then obviously that new stage of motherhood um with being open and with trying to deal with trolls i just kind of
1: always at the forefront of my mind was what's best for me and mia Because it's the whole kind of putting your life jacket on first, then, you know. And I used to think if I'm in a good headspace mentally, it's ultimately Mia who's going to suffer. And why should she suffer because of some idiot on the internet who's told me I'm doing a bad job? Um, I just thought I'm not going to let them have that impact and effect on me. And I think I know a lot of people, you know, they don't have their mums. You know, my my dad passed away when I was very young, but the one person I knew I could get the advice from was my mum. Because to me, she's the best mum in the world and she's got me and my sister. And my sister's got three children. Um, so I just kind of stuck to what they knew and thought, well, me and my sister have turned out okay. So, you know, I can, I can ask my mom. And I remember the first time I bathed uh, Mia, I, I didn't really know what to do. And my sister was like, well, support her head with your hand and rest her like this. And then, yeah, that's right. And they were like coaxing me through it. <clears throat> and she was so tiny. She was like a little chicken. And, and my mum filmed it for us and so we've got that and my sister and it's just something really nice like my sister and my mum teaching me how to bath my little girl it's kind of passing the baton down um but I, I just tried I mean I did get a lot of criticism there was one one time I took her out in the papoose for a walk I remember it was like the first walk I'd been on so I was a little bit nervous and you know, being outside. And I was thinking, oh, well, even like I remember a bus went past and I thought, oh, I hope her little ears are okay. And she didn't even move. She was fine. And we put a lovely picture on Instagram of us walking and someone commented saying um, she was far too little for the papoose. And it was very dangerous of me and I could have dropped her and all this stuff. And I, the size that, the, you know, I actually, that person actually made me go to the papoose and I looked at the label and I thought, are they right? And I remember flipping the label and I thought, I was thinking they're not right. She's the perfect size for the papoose, and for that split second, I thought, "Gosh, that that person made me question that lovely walk we've just had, and I don't even know who they are." So I just made a pact with myself and and with Mia. You know, I remember she was fast asleep, and I remember saying to her, "I'm never going to let a stranger's opinion affect our little bubble and our little relationship because what we've got and the bond we've got is." far beyond some troll
0: on the internet. It's funny, isn't it? I wonder what it is that makes people tell you that what you're doing is wrong. And do you feel like you've been able to stick to that? Because I always say, I'm not going to let anyone bother me. But then when I read something, especially if I'm having like a really bad day and someone basically tells me that I'm a terrible mum or that I'm going to cause Alf to like suffocate, I'm a bit like, oh my God. But how how do you rise above the sort of unsolicited advice? Um, I always think... I don't know if it's being a mum
1: now, but I kind of feel sorry for them kind of people. I always think hurt people hurt people. And for them to actively be online as an adult, giving people shit over motherhood, I think what kind of upbringing have you had? You know, their experiences probably weren't the best. Uh, maybe they're struggling. So I just think, I mean, sometimes I have a good laugh because sometimes I get some stuff and I have to read it out or send it to the girls in the group and we just like laugh our heads off at it. Um but it's just great that you've got a block button now. And I just think it's it's easier to block them out of your life. You know, they, they don't need to be in your life. They don't need to have an impact on you. And I'm just, I'm too busy now to, to give it the time. You know, it's kind of, again, it might be an age thing because it used to affect me a lot. I used to want to try and please everyone. And if I post something and someone say, well, that would offend me, I, I think, oh gosh, I feel really bad for doing that. And then I th- now I think, well, no, I don't feel bad because what would offend you could not offend me. What you, We want like the same foods, we want like the same films. People have different opinions. And there's that old saying like, opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one, but you don't want to see everyone's. So it's that whole thing of, you know, you have to do what's right for you and, and, and your family. And it's not being selfish, it's a necessity, especially if you want to pass on healthy habits, you know, and a, a good mental mind frame to your little
0: one. Somebody told me something that's really stuck with me That it, and it, it, they told it to me for motherhood, but I feel like it can apply to all walks of life. But it says have an opinion filter. So decide, like you said, you know that you'll take advice from your mom because you trust her and she raised you and you're really close with her. But no matter what it is, whether it's people passing comments on like your age and your relationship status or whatever it may be, like if you have an opinion filter, only let the people's opinions that matter come through and everyone else just like block them out
1: yeah it's that whole if they don't know you personally don't take it personal Push Your Peak is a brand new podcast brought to you by What Bike? Join me, Louise Minchin, and some of the world's most incredible sports people to learn what it takes mentally and physically to push yourself beyond your limits. Whether you're an elite or everyday
0: athlete, it can be hard to continually progress. How do you push yourself out of your comfort zone? Where do you go to find that inner drive? Tune in to hear these inspiring
1: stories and take away the belief that you can achieve your own goals no matter matter how big
0: or small. You can find us wherever you got this podcast. Just search Push Your Peak. What was your um first year like with um being a mum like I, I always find it really interesting like I mentioned like learning people's timelines because I feel like you know some people love the beginning stage some people don't some people struggle with this some people struggle with that I know um that you spoke openly about for example giving up breastfeeding at 9 weeks I think and like the kind of um judgment and criticism that you faced around that so um yeah what was year one as um, so Gemma the mum like
1: it, it was, it flew by. Everyone said it goes quick. And I remember at three months, I was thinking it's not going quick at all, but it, had, it went really quick. Um, and again, it was just kind of, for the first 16 weeks, um, so the, like for the first four months, we were just at home in our little bubble anyway. We went out in the garden, but we didn't really do much. And I loved it because you, you won't ever get them times back again. So in the build up to maternity leave, I remember thinking, Gosh, I've never been more than a month without work. Never mind nine. How am I going to cope? But when it came to going back, I didn't want to. I wanted to stay at home with Mia. Um, but it was just kind of trial and error with everything. You know, the whole stopping breastfeeding. People,
0: Some people said I should have done a lot longer. What made you decide to stop or what made you stop um, at nine weeks? It was quite difficult for me because she was so little. She couldn't latch on
1: to my nipple because she was so small um and she did a lot of cluster feeding and I couldn't express that much either so no one else could really feed her it was a case of she had to be on me all the time and it did get easier but she was quite unsettled sometimes after feeding and it was my mum who said to me she's she's still hungry ain't she and I'd be like yeah and I'd try again and there wasn't enough milk coming and I, I told the health visitors I was thinking of stopping and You know, they did their best to say to me, breast is best. And I know that's something they have to say. But there was um, a time when they were there with my mum and my mum said, Gem, fed is best. She said, if Mia's hungry and you can't feed her, there's no shame in it. You've birthed her, you've had her, get her a bottle. And so that's what we did. And it like changed her overnight. Like that was the first time she started sleeping a lot longer because she was full and she was happy. (laughs) And I thought, oh my gosh, as if I put this off for so long in fear of being judged. When from just a big bottle of milk, she's asleep. She, you know, doing the milk drunk and they have the little tash and the smiling and yeah, it completely changed her. So again, that was annoying that I'd beat myself up for it for so long. And I know next time, if I'm lucky enough to have another baby, it'll be a case of I'll try and breastfeed. And if I can't, they'll have a bottle and it'll be fine. We all end up with mcdonald's chips off the back seat of the car anyway at some point in our lives so
0: um yeah i think just a fed baby is best feel like we know what's best for our baby so it doesn't really matter what anyone says if we feel something then it's the right thing and it's almost empowering ourselves and empowering other mums to know like you know your baby better than anyone you you know your routine and like
1: the, the year one is a year of first i think for everything you know, the first time they talk or the first bath. And I remember the first time Mia slept at my sister's overnight, I was like, Oh my gosh, will she be okay? I'm not there. And she had the best time, but then she came home. And the following day she came out in a rash all over her body. And I was like, Oh my God. And straight in my head, it was meningitis. And like, could you go straight to panic mode? And I was, I said to my mum, look, she's got this rash all over her and then I told my sister and she said, Oh shite. She said, I washed a baby grow with our wash. She said, I didn't even think about it because my sister's three kids are grown up. And she said, that's what it'll be. And my sister was so cool and calm. And obviously it's not our first rodeo. She was like, yeah, that's that's what it'll be. Don't worry. She said, it's not gone down in a couple of hours. You know, ring someone. But we did the glass test and she went, it'll be fine. And within, within an hour, it'd gone, <laughs> completely gone. Um, but again, it was the first for me of the first time you see physically something on your child, you start in the worst. But now I'm a lot more not relaxed with it, but more open-minded as it's not going to be meningitis every time, touch wood. Do you know what I mean? It's not the worst case scenario each time. There's lots of other things going
0: round. Did you experience any like low moments during that first year of motherhood? Um I wouldn't say low. There were times when I felt a bit kind of
1: left out from things because I think me as dad, because gore to go on the road I kind of felt like he was still getting to live his life and do the things he wanted to do when I was kind of at home with Mia. Um, So it was kind of more of a resentment towards him being on the road with the boys, having fun dancing. And it was only when um, he FaceTimed me once, well, it was actually Giovanni said, you need to FaceTime Gorka. He's not, he's not in a great place and I'm not sure what I can, you know, what to do. And I FaceTimed him and, They were all out and he was in his room and he got really upset and he just said, I just want to come home. He said, I don't I don't like being away from Mia and you. And it kind of dawned on me. He was feeling the same way about me. He was resenting that I got to be at home with our little baby girl and he had to go and work and he was touring. And he he just said, you know, he was tied into a contract. He didn't want to let anyone down. And he said, "But I just don't want to be here. I want to be at home. And we had a really lovely, honest chat about it. And I said, well, I thought you were having a whale of a time and I've been feeling this. And he was like, no, are you mad? He's like, I want to come home. So we I think it's about communicating with your loved ones. If ever you're having a moment of feeling low or a wobble, communicate straight away. Don't kind of keep it to yourself, whether it's your health visitor or your family or friends, whatever. You mustn't, mustn't let it fester because it'll just pile further and further up. You need to get it out of your system straight away.
0: It's so funny, isn't it? Because I was exactly the same. I mean, it was also a bit different because Tommy was like, I think it was the Euros. So Tommy was always going off and seeing all his mates for the Euros. And I'd be like sat home, um, like I was breastfeeding still. So I just felt like I couldn't really like do anything or go anywhere. But it, it's exactly that. Tommy actually came on my podcast to do an episode. And it was kind of like looking at it from his perspective, because I feel like so many of us do kind of build up this resentment. And like, for me, I've, I've really struggled with that first year identity. Like I loved the first four months. And then I started to like... I think get like itchy feet and miss my old life. It was also coincided with like coming out of lockdown. So the world started to open up again, but like my world had changed so much, but yeah, I remember like Tom saying exactly the same, like, do you not think I want to be at home with Alf, but I've got to be at work. Definitely all relative. I think everyone's newborn situation is
1: all, all relative hundred percent.
0: And I know that you shot, um, uh, the front cover of woman is it was it Women's health magazine after eight months of um having a baby and i, I kind of wanted to ask you about it because one of the things that i found um i found it irritating before having a baby but after having a baby i felt like a lot of confusion around my body and my body image and not necessarily that I, I I didn't like my body, but it took me a long time. It felt like I was in someone else's body. But what I found difficult was that I felt like, or I still feel like a lot of the topics around the postnatal body is all around appearance, but actually, you know, I personally was going through prolapse and piles and the fear of having sex again and all of this stuff that I felt like how your body looks is the tip of the iceberg. But I feel like women, I mean, women are always policed with their bodies, but especially after having a baby. Like I know women who lost the baby weight. I hate the term baby weight, but lost the baby weight straight away and kind of, you know, went back to the same size clothes after three weeks. But they felt really ashamed of that because they felt like they were a really bad role model. Yeah, you feel bad either way. Yeah, they felt like they were told they were a bad role model, and then obviously you had like you Have always been like really into health and fitness. And um, what did you feel like in your postnatal recovery and doing that photo shoot? Did you feel pressure to look a certain way? Um,
1: well, I mean, I, I was the same as you, whereby piles. My God, I piles and so many piles, and I don't know why because I didn't even push her out. Um, but I had a lot of piles and stuff, and obviously with my scar, I had a lot of internal healing to do from my C section. I think they go through seven layers. The woman showed me on a on like this grid thing and I like, oh my gosh um so I couldn't do anything really because I was recovering from a an operation so for me I viewed it the same as you whereby it doesn't matter what I look like I need to heal internally and mentally first and I did that by focusing on on good nutrition and eating lots of colorful foods you know the, the phrase you are what you eat it's such a cheesy phrase but it's true and I thought I can either sit here eating all the crap in the world wondering why I'm feeling like crap or I can do something it was a little little things like changing snacking on you know chocolate to raspberries or just having the one digestive with my brew not two you know it was just little things like that um, and when the women's health offer came through i think they wanted me for the january cover so it would have been 6 months after i had mia but they shoot 2 months sorry they shoot 6 weeks in advance so they wanted me to do the shoot in the December and I had me here in the July. And I remember saying to my agent, that's like, that's not enough time. And she said, what do you mean? Not enough time. I said, I'm not going to lose you know, my baby weight by then. And the, the, the editor of women's health, Claire, she said, Gemma, that's, that's the point. We don't want you to lose baby weight. We want to show, you know, you softer or then as opposed to having your muscle mass and this and that. And I originally said, no, um, I just said I won't feel confident and it'll ruin the day for everyone and this and that. And then I kind of had a moment at home where I thought, my body's just done the most incredible thing it's ever, ever done. It's not only birthed a child, it's survived the hemorrhage. I've breastfed for nine weeks. I've, you know, done so many things. So why would I ever feel bad about it because I'm heavier than I was last year? Or, I've got more stretch marks than I had last year. I thought it's just a stupid, silly way to look at your body. Your body's like just the capsule, isn't it? You're so much more than just the capsule. <clears throat> and I remember thinking, I don't ever want Mia to feel that way. So I thought my way around it, I'm going to do the shoot. I'm going to exercise as and when I can in between being a mum, make good choices with my food. And however I look on the days, however I look on the day. You know, I'm not going to, kill myself or starve myself because that then gives off the wrong impression to other mums that, oh, you can look this way if you do this, this, and this. And it's like, no, you could look that way if you starve yourself in, in reality. So I wasn't I wasn't going to do it. Um, I just didn't think it was fair. And I love now that I've got that cover to show Mia. That's the
0: first job mummy did, you know, after she had you. Did you ever um, get any, like, judgment calling on your body? in those um that first year after motherhood yeah and it was weird because it was mostly from men
1: I had a lot of yeah I had um remember someone commented and said you've gone from a pin-up to a wash-up um and and someone else said what a shame you've lost your body now and I remember reading them thinking god what a, what a shallow Shallow thing to do after, you know, after I thought, would they say that to their wife or their daughter after having a baby? You know, it's kind of the phrase snap back, I hate and the whole get your body back, I hate because I just think my body didn't go anywhere. It just changed to carry a little child.
0: It's not like gone somewhere that needs to come back. I think that's why I find it so frustrating as well because like knowing what we go through, you know, like you said, like piles, the fact that your body got seven layers ripped through it to have a C-section. Like I had this huge 9.5 baby and, and literally was like ripped apart and had to be stitched back. And this idea that, we are boiled down to whether we snap back, which you're right, is like a rank term in itself. But also I see it, you know, all the time in the tabloids, the way they talk about a woman. Like when, when she walks out with her child, it's never just like, look at this person with their baby. It's like she steps out showcasing her postnatal figure or something like that. And it's like, you no. Know, because just three you,
1: months after like, birth or just two years after birth. They always put a just, so no matter how long it is, that it causes... And
0: time. it kind of insinuates. It also I feel like creates like negativity a- amongst women because it's like, how does she, that's not a good role model. Like she should, she shouldn't have lost her baby weight like that. But some people do and some people don't. And I think we need to see like the reality, like A, understand that postnatal bodies aren't just about how they weight and what they look like after giving birth, but also allow women's bodies to do what women's bodies do. And that's very different. Like, you know, I'm sure my body's different to your body, different to the next person's body. Like Emma Ratajowski, I saw her being like globally slammed for her, like how her body looked after birth. And I feel like, does it really matter? Like we've just been through this like incredible thing. Like you said, like that is our body. And it's just done this amazing thing. And it, it's done an amazing thing, whether you have baby weight or not, like, does it matter? It, yeah it doesn't define you as a mother
1: either or as a person you know I just especially like when, when I was breastfeeding obviously you eat more calories because you need more food to feed your baby but there's some women who will refuse to eat because they're so scared of carrying you know excess weight from the baby and in doing so they're just doing themselves damage and it's such a a sad place for them to be and especially if the, you know you're at home with this baby and like you say you see things going back to normal and you know you do sometimes think, gosh, will I ever get my old life back? But you always do. You always work around it. And, you know, your size or shape does not define you as a mother. Your two-year-old little baby or four-year-old or five-year-old doesn't think, oh, my mum would be a bit better if she lost a few pounds. You know, they think you're the best thing in the
0: world anyway, regardless of how you look. Do love. you feel um, like pressure or have you thought much around body image and how that might Affect me because obviously, like I, I'm a mum I'm raising a son, and that comes with its own pressures and things that I worry about. But how does it feel as a mum to a daughter?
1: Um, for me, we're kind of she loves being active and she loves her exercise. And I want to instill in her healthy habits um, as opposed to diets and stuff like that. Like she knows that every Friday night we have pizza for tea, and she Like on a Friday morning, I'll say, what's for tea today? It's Friday. And she goes, pizza. And we have a big pizza and we'll have pick and mix. But then she knows during the week that, you know, she has some broccoli with her food. um, And she has some avocado at breakfast and things. So I would never want to tell her she can't have a certain food. If she wants a bit of chocolate, she can have a bit of chocolate. You know, it's, for me, it's, I I try to lead by example. Because my mum said, a child won't do what you say, they will do what you do. And that's kind of stuck with me. So if I'm saying to Mia, you can have a little bit of chocolate each day, but you can't have a chocolate bar every day because it's bad for you. But yet yeah, I'm doing it. it that's not going to work. So yeah, it's just kind of, I always think 80% what she's going to need to help her thrive and be awake at toddlers when, you know, not sending her in where she's crashing on sugar and stuff. But I'm not going to take her to the cinema and not get nachos and pick a mix and, you know, we're not going to go on an all-inclusive holiday and we say, don't have that from the buffet. You know, we pay for it, have what you want. But it's it's just about moderation and knowing, know, you know, when to get back on track and eat,
0: eat stuff that you're going to thrive from and, and nourish your body. When did you start to feel like back to normal? I say the word normal because I feel like, do you ever go back? Like motherhood changes you forever, doesn't it? But when did you start to feel like out of the sort of fog of both recovery and also motherhood. When I started exercising
1: again, and for my first load of exercising, all it was was walking. Um, just the, the fresh a walk in the fresh air made all the difference. Um, and again, eating nutritious foods, I just, it's hard to feel bad about a body that you're taking care of. And you can be taking care of it by having a bath in Epsom salts or by, I don't know, doing a 20 minute walk on the block with the dogs or anything or yoga on YouTube. I started doing that. And just the minute I started doing things like that, the hormones, happy hormones started being released and started sleeping a little bit better. And you kind of think, oh, okay, I'm, I'm getting back on track. I'm, I'm finding myself again. And that for me, there was no kind of like pivotal moment. It was just a slow process of just
0: doing little bits of training again and building up to to what I do now, really. What do I have to look forward to between now and two years? Because I feel like I've just come out of a real fog of like postnatal depression and I'm starting to like get really excited. But I also feel, for example, my friend Lucy had um, a second birthday for Roman um, the other week. And I genuinely am like, what's two year olds like? I feel so ignorant about anyone remotely older than Alf because I feel like I've not been now when my friends are starting to have babies I feel like I can be a really good like support because I have a rough idea of what might go through or might not go through but um yeah what what kind of things How is it being being a mum to somebody from like say the one to two plus for me I love the fact that you can have a little conversations with them um
1: they can and and the and the communication with them I think is great because it's just seeing how for me, how her little mind works. Like she'll line all her teddies up and she talks to them like the people in toddlers. Um, And it's they they start, for me, things that she's into, like she loves horses. We have to watch this series called Spirit and it's on all day, every day. And Elsa from Frozen, you know, we're out and she'll see an Elsa colouring book, her face will light up. So it's finding things that, she's into that i think oh i can gauge your little personality um we're going on holiday in a few weeks and she's asked for a little fireman sam luggage so for me it's it's when they start developing their own little personalities um because i always i mean obviously she's a toddler she's not a, an adult yet but i always i can see little pieces of the person she's becoming whereas when she was a baby she was just a baby she cried pooed and slept you know whereas Now it's kind of, yeah, she's like a little person and I absolutely love that. It's like having my best mate with me all the time. Oh,
0: that's so nice. I feel that Al's definitely at that age, like the last few months, it's just like milestone after milestone, isn't it? And it's like they start to do things that are really funny and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe that I birthed a, a little tiny baby that like finds certain things funny or does certain things. And it's so much more joyful, I find, than that sort of new, that new stage get more back, I think, when they're a
1: toddler, don't you? You kind of, like the other day, she said to me, she gave me a hug and she said, I'm not going anywhere, mummy. And obviously she's heard that from somewhere, but I thought, oh, God bless you. And, you know, like little, and she's she's going through a phase as well where she keeps saying she's knackered. (laughs) And I said, mum, you need to stop saying knackered in front of Mia. She says, I am bloody knackered looking after her. I said, I know, but Mia keeps telling me she's knackered. Um, But she'll rub her hand over her face and go, oh, I'm knackered. I'm knackered, mate. So yeah, it's it's fun when they start picking things up.
0: Do you feel um or how do you feel about the kind of constant sort of pressure to get to that next step? I feel like you know, when you're single, it's when you're gonna meet someone. When you meet someone, it's when you're gonna get engaged or get married. I'm obviously not married, but then it's like when you're gonna have a baby. How do you find like the constant conversations around having a second baby? Well, we've we've said people are always saying to us it's time for another.
1: Time for another. <coughs> And we would love another baby, but we've said we want to get a little bit more out of Mia first. Because part of me is like, I would love her to have a sibling. Because growing up, there was things that you know happened that I could tell my sister about, not my parents. And when we lost our dad, my sister was amazing for me, my big sister. Um, so I would love Mia to have that support system of... Having someone she could go to if me and her dad were off limits for any reason, you know, if it comes to boys or girls or sex or whatever. Um, but at the same time, I said to go, if we have another baby now, first of all, we don't even know if it will happen straight away, you know, you can never take it for granted. But my time would be taken up with a newborn. I'd, I feel like I'd miss this perfect little stage with Mia. And I know every stage is going to be perfect because it's your child. So you'll always view it as that but I just feel like I want to get a little bit more out of just the three of us first. Um, Although she has asked twice now for a little sister. Um, Has she? Yeah, she says, I want a sister, and she wants to call her Elsa. (laughs) So, but yeah, we've we've said we'll hopefully we'll give her a sibling, but, you know, maybe let her turn three or four first and and we'll see what happens,
0: yeah. I find it really interesting knowing, like, people's responses to that because I feel like... I obviously I'm thinking like, would I have another one? Could I have another one? Would I be able to do it all over again? Um, so yeah, I like hearing other people's thought processes around it. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, I want to do it all over again. And then you have a bad day and you're like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. We all, you always do, don't I? think that's the thing with women. We always
1: adapt to a situation. Like my auntie Edna, she's, she's died now, bless her. But she had six lads within like two years, one, two years, another, another, another. And she did it on her own, more or less. And like paper nappies back in those days, and they all grew up to be amazing. And I think, God, they just got on with it because that's what you do. And I think women in general, like we always go, oh, how will
0: I do that? But you always do it. You know, like you're saying, like my I grew up with my sister. She's three years younger than me. And amazingly, she's got her son, Jasper, who's just uh, three or four months younger than Alf. And it's been so nice to go through oh, this journey goodness. with that. Um, but one of my earliest memories is my mum and dad telling me that they were having another baby. Um, and I remember really not wanting it to be a girl. So it's funny that Mia keeps saying a girl. I remember I was like, I hope it's a boy because I really didn't want anyone to like come and take my crown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I loved um, having my sibling. Um, right. Just before I let you go, I always read out a comment from uh, one of my lovely listeners. So this one is from niece. I think it's at Kesney, sorry if I've pronounced that wrong, um, who left us a review on Apple Podcasts. And she says, the new mum days can be lonely, but not with Ashy around. I go for a walk every day to get my little one and myself some fresh air and some time to clear my head. And usually the little one naps, but it can be quite lonely, can't it? So with one AirPod in, listening to you feels like some time out with a friend who understands everything you're going through and says exactly what you're thinking. Oh, that's nice. Well, I hadn't actually read that. Nice. But- Did you ever feel lonely? I know you had your your mum and your sister, but did you find it, did you know people going through the similar experiences at the same time as you? Or how did you meet other mum friends? Uh, Well, again, we we went to one sensory class and then
1: lockdown happened. So I didn't really see any new mums. Um, For me, it was all kind of Zooms with my girlfriends. And my best friend, Laura, she's got two children, Harry and Lucy. Lucy's eight and Harry's five. So she's kind of, was a good go-to for me. But yeah, I remember there was times where like daytime TV became my best friend, like Homes Under the Hammer and Escape to the Chateau, things like I would never watch. I used to, it'd come on, I'd go, oh, wow. And I'd sit with Mia watching it. Um, So yeah, it's not that I never felt lonely. I sometimes just felt, this is it now. This is my life forever. I'm going to be sat in this chair in this same pajama top with the same wet hair for the rest of my life. And then slowly but surely you start realising, ah, oh, okay, I can I can do this. Because obviously as your little boy or girl gets older, your routine, it doesn't always get easier for everyone, but you, your routine gets more manageable. Um, Wherever I used to like wrestle to get me his shoes and I can say to her now, can you get your shoes, please? And she'll go and get them. So I just kind of always try to take each day as it comes Make the most of the time we have together, um, and just kind of enjoy the ride, really. Because it's—I think that's what it is—a crazy roller coaster ride of highs and lows, and a few loops thrown in between.
0: Oh, I feel like you're so like level-headed with it all. It's really nice to hear because I feel like mine—I'm like a roller coaster in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just like, oh. like, but yeah, you seem like just very like balanced with it all and like positive. Yeah, I
1: think you kind of. I'm always if I can't change it, I'm not going to worry about it. And I just think it's that it's that freedom for me of not having to please anyone but me. And if my house is a shit shithole for two three days, fine. As long as she's having fun and there's dens to play in, whatever. If I've not washed my hair for a week, there's dry shampoo. I just think you know, there's this constant need to try and be the perfect mom in a pinafore with a floral dress on baking apple pie like that for me will never ever happen (laughs) and for those that can do that I think it's amazing but for me I, it's tracky
0: bottoms slippers and greasy hair for the win and I'm fine with that <laughs> I love like, getting to like relive people's first years with them and yeah thanks for being such a good guest oh, and- no, thanks for having me and thanks for listening to Mum's The Word the parented podcast um, don't forget you can hit the subscribe or follow button if you're enjoying it so that you never miss an episode and if you're listening on Apple Podcast then um, leave a review I might read it out one week and a five star rating also helps other people to find us um, and I'll be back same time